Hi, everybody. Episode 13, Embodied Business Inspired Brain Podcast. Anne is our rock star today. She has been on fire with um, uh, some content that we've been developing for our Dynamic Education and Movement Mentorship and CEC series, which is all we can hardly talk about these days because um, it's, I think, our most accessible offer that we have created together. And it brings us back to our amazing roots and where we started with each other, right? With the science and psychology of teaching master's program. So before we dive in um, to this amazing subject on really we're talking about pain, and why don't you preface the topic for us real quick, and then we'll do what's in process, what's in progress. Yeah, so today we really want to look at the intersection of pain's impact on performance and how the nervous system work can support it. And so a lot of us within the mindful movement industry, like we're already doing a lot of this naturally, um, but there's some really good science that has come out and um, we can really see how we can interweave some of this in. Um, so I'm really excited to, to share all that today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's in process and progress for you? You have been putting yourself out there quite a bit, but I don't know. I don't, I don't want to tell you what to say, but I, there's so many good, exciting things going on for you, but yeah. Yeah. So I'll let you be the you. thank you. Yeah. So one of the oh. things that Chantel and I love to do is um, to collaborate with people. And one of the people we've been collaborating really well with lately um, and a lot with is a woman named Kasha Derbysuska and Shuska, and she is a curriculum designer and we were sharing uh, quite a bit of our work together um, today through uh, CAST. They put on a symposium, which is all about the universal design for learning. So a lot of bunch of people in school systems and around the country heard a lot about Pilates. <laughs> and um, they heard a lot about how Pilates is um, a, a dynamic form of movement where it can be really like a lot of times, like a lot of times we'll, we'll teach to the student in front of us. And so there's a different way of doing that with universal design for learning, which is something that Chantel and I have been implementing ourselves for years and years and years in our work. Yeah. But it's kind of like Pilates in that work is that like, the more, you know, the more you realize you can, you can play with it and be creative with it and have fun with it and get your students better and better results, which is integral with Pilates. So that's, one of my, um, I think a lot of, I think too, because of the pandemic, I wasn't speaking as much. Um, I know Chantilla is entering a lot back into her work, um, going around and doing workshops and presentations. So it's been fun doing, doing two workshops today and, and now we're going to doing two more. So. Yeah. And you just presented to a group of hundreds. Was that last week or the week? Yeah. Before? So, uh, uh, earlier in um, in July, I presented to Cha University, which is in uh, South Korea, and was sharing with them, again, a lot of this work um, involved in the research of motor learning. We spoke, uh, we learned a lot about the work of Gabriella Wolf and Rebecca Lethwaite, and they really look at how um, external motor cues are, or external cueing is much better uh, you get a lot better motor performance and results, which sometimes kind of goes head to head with what we think of in Pilates. We're like, but, but it's the internal that's the best. Um, and it is a skill set that I think has value. 
However, <laughs> research suggests and shows that when we use external forms of cueing, we actually get better motor performance, which is essentially just saying like the student learns better. The thing is, is a lot of times they apply that research to like getting like sports, mm-hmm. right? And we're not sports, right? However, the research has been done in a lot of gymnasts. Um, and that's a lot, you know, a lot more Pilates based, like, like where you're not necessarily trying to do, you know, interact with the external environment so much, but there's just a way that you need to tweak the cueing a little bit. So I've been sharing that as well. And as you can see, I can really start talking about it. So <laughs> it's, it's just been a lot of fun to, to be back presenting uh, the work that really came out of um, our work together and the master's program when we first started working together in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love I want to kind of lift up this thing that you often say, right? It's like, it's not a, it's not a uh, either or when we're talking about the, the results we can get or what's driven from different types of cueing or different types of perception. And then from my perspective, and one of the things we're really going to be talking a lot about today, both in the podcast, we're going to be talking about it in the free training we're doing this afternoon. Um, it's a, which is a pre-training for our, uh, dynamic education series called transforming pain um, is the nervous system and a a whole new way of perceiving, which was identified by or coined by Dr. Stephen Porges is called neuroception. And when you perceive via neuroception, it's unconscious. And so we have to take this unconscious perceiving through our nervous system and bring it to the conscious. And it's just another doorway, right? It's another way of, um, experiencing the body and learning to trust the body and then being able to liberate our choices for movement and in the case of the nervous system behavior, which is deeply related to the topic we're, we're diving into today, which is pain, right? And this kind of biopsychosocial um, uh, implication. So I feel like as I'm listening to you and as I was thinking about what's in process and progress for me, I could say so many things. What's literally in process if I've I will not turn my computer around because my house is a wreck. I am packing for a seven-day motorcycle trip um, with Gina Paluka, who was on the podcast um, uh, some episodes ago. So really excited, really excited about that. Um, that's definitely a thing I have not done since pre-COVID, a big, long trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, really exciting. I think one of the things, though, in terms of our work that is really thrilling to me is I am diving back into the nervous system work with Deb Dana and um, been working with some new material and testing that out on a few of my students and students who have particular interest in bringing the nervous system work to their lives and and to their teaching or to whatever modalities they use um, and into educational design, which is what we do all the time. So I'm really excited about a layer of new language um, and a layer of uh, tools and strategies to help people understand their nervous system states and then and then change them on purpose um, despite despite the unconscious trauma responses that we might be having, there is a way to become aware of our 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 behavioral responses based on the nervous system and then to change them so I'm really, really excited about that work. It's been um, really rich and rewarding. And that's just been, I've kind of turned that up a little bit in the last month or so. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and what I love so much about what you're sharing is how I feel 
a lot, like awareness alone can be the change, you know, like it's the first, even if it's the just, first step. Yeah. Say, like, even for just real. By, right. Like even just by becoming aware of your breath, all of a sudden, like your breath might change. And we definitely see that in Pilates, like, Oh, you now even have the capacity to be aware of where your pelvis is in space. Like, my goodness, like what that opens up, you know? Yeah. So I just think that that your work with the nervous system is so um, supportive in many different realms. And so what I really want to share with within this podcast is looking a bit at how the nervous system work that Chantel is such an expert at can support this concept within the pain sciences. And mm-hmm. so I want to give a little context here. So the pain science that I'm referencing is a lot of the work by Lorimer Mosley um, in his work, work Explain Pain, um, and also Dr. Butler. I'm blanking on his first name at the moment. I don't have his book in front of me, but I first came across their work in 2014. I, I went to Dallas, Texas and had some amazing barbecue yeah. <laughs> and was really in a room with not any Pilates instructors. I was in a room with um, a lot of psychologists. I was also, when I was in this training, I was also in the room. I remember sitting next to a woman. I was sort of talking to her about like, yeah, you know, I work with clients. A lot of them see me for chronic pain because of like orthopedic failures within, you know, allopathic medicine. And she's like, yeah, I'm a psychologist in the pediatric burn unit. (laughs) I was like, wow, like that's a whole other level of pain because my understanding of burn pain is that it's incredibly painful Um, and all of the surgeries that have to to go along with that. But we as as also in our industry, we we do tend to work with a lot of people in pain and they are seeking out Pilates because other things have failed them. Um, And they're trying to find their way. And so I think understanding pain within the mind, mindful movement, whether you are a receiver of mindful movement or a teacher of mindful movement, one of the biggest things that's important to know is that this concept of, of explain pain, one of the things that they've spoken a lot about that's come out of a lot of research, and this is a lot of this is coming out of Australia is this concept that pain is a biopsychosocial model. So the bio model we all, we're all into, that's the MRIs, that's them telling you, you know, they're, what they're, you know, it's bone on bone, like, you know, like everybody, everybody talking about the imaging right. or getting a diagnosis from an orthopedic or some sort of doctor. Oh, I have so and, much you know, to say about that. Yeah, osteoporosis, right? And because we're in the mindful movement community, we have we have some opinions about that, right? Um, so, so they receive a diagnosis, and um, and and then and so that's the bio model. But we what we have to understand about pain is that's only a third of it. There's also a psycho and a social part of it, and so the psychological part of of pain is so. Think about this: you're walking across the street. You're maybe you're walking your dog or you're pushing your baby or, you know, you got your kids with you. You got something else with you that you really treasure and care about. Okay. Maybe it's like a beautiful gift that you're going to give somebody a really good dinner Mm -hmm. and a bus. Oh, oh. And as you walk across, you kind of walk off and, and, and you, you sprain your ankle and maybe this is an ankle you've sprained multiple times and you're like, oh, and 
the, maybe you start to feel the pain, maybe not. But as you look up, you see a bus bearing down on you and this treasure you have with you, whether it's your child, your dog, your pet, uh, something new you bought that you don't want to get ruined. Okay. You run out of the way. You don't limp out of the way. <laughs> you run out of the way. And that's because your body is saving you and saving your loved one from getting hit by that's a bus. Right. And so that is showing that your, your brain is psychologically impacted by perceiving pain. Okay. So what that means is that depending on our psychological state, we can have different concepts of pain. So if you're already stressed, your pain might be more easily triggered. So let's say you have an old injury and occasionally it nags you most likely that old injury is going to be more nagging to you, more disruptive to your life, more annoying when you have higher stress levels in your life, which is, so that's that psychological component. And then the social component is that we as psychological creatures, we are supported by social interactions, right? And so a lot of times when people are in pain, they retreat from social experiences. Yeah. They retreat from activities that are social. And we know, I mean, hey, like if you're social, you're less likely to get dementia. You're less likely. Like, it's important for us to be involved socially. And that's why the pandemic was so hard, right? And at different parts in our, of our life, we need more social time than others. Like teenagers need a lot. But so what's important to understand about pain and that we're going to be deep diving into soon is just that um, it, it's, it's many things. It's not just what's in the image <laughs> that you receive. And if we're only attending to that, we're missing out on a lot. And I'll just wrap up by saying that's a lot of times I think why Pilates is so supportive of people in pain, because even if you have no concept of the biopsychosocial model of pain, you still are delivering on that. You probably have developed a trusting relationship with your student. They trust you. So psychologically, they feel safe. And it's a social experience that you that you are teaching them, right? Chantel talks so much about how teaching is relationship. And so Pilates lends itself to the biopsychosocial model. So even if we don't know it, it is we're, we're living in it by teaching within a studio and caring. Um, and one of the biggest things that I find um, some of the newest information that came out today that I was hearing about in pain and performance, which is something that was brought up by Laura Moore Mosley, is this concept that really made me think of the work of the nervous system. I'm just looking at my notes. And it's really this concept that if, is that you might think that you're not stressed. And I, this really resonated with me because I think I, I really do this. I'm like, oh yeah. And, and I probably work with a lot of people who do this because we tend to attract people who are like mm -hmm. us, right? I'm like, I'm not really that stressed. Like I'm fine. Um, but the thing is, is like, if you don't have any awareness of your nervous system and you don't have any way to, to downregulate mm -hmm. it. And the reality is that you can have a pain threshold that is more easily triggered because you have unconscious nervous system, you, you know, stress that you are not even aware of. And so this is where I feel like the work of the polyvagal theory 
Um, and, and A, becoming aware of your nervous system can really start to support this biopsychosocial model so that it's another tool in our tool, tool bin. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, uh, I have like, I have a case study I want to run by you and maybe we'll, so, because I feel like it's, it's so new to me. So I was just with my friend, uh, recently, my friend, Max, who some of you have heard, you know, we've been kind of talking about his story. Tomorrow is the one year anniversary of his accident. Mm -hmm. So my friend rides a motorcycle and was hit by a car uh, a year ago and unfortunately very nearly lost his left leg from the knee down. Fortunately, he did not. However, he spent four months totally immobilized, his knee immobilized. Um, and it's been a very interesting process. What I really want to talk about is I want to, I want to talk about what's happening right now. And then I want to back up and I want your take on it. Anne, because I think that a lot of our students, if you're a movement practitioner or a wellness practitioner, I think this has such a wide scope, right? It doesn't matter if you teach Pilates, yoga, you teach dance, you teach movement. Maybe you're an osteo, you know, an osteopath. Maybe you're a, a therapeutic masseuse. Like I think it, it doesn't matter, right? Because people come in with their pain stories yeah. all the time, no matter kind of what they're coming in for. So talking about um, the bio, the imaging. So I was there in the hospital and, and the surgeon came out and he said, Here's, here are the images. And he showed me three pages of images of the inside of his knee, Max's knee. And he's like telling me like, here's what we did. We broke up the scar tissue. There's arthritis here and here. The menisci are totally shredded. We clean those up. There's a remnant of the, like all these things, right? There's like all this imagery. And it's just like, I know what I'm, I mean, I know this stuff. And I was completely overwhelmed. Like, like I could feel my like heart racing and Okay. So there's the, there's the imagery stuff, right? And then there's like the list. Then he shows me like a three page list of like the checklist of what they did and didn't do. And then he says, the bottom line is he's lucky to have a leg. I was like, I'm sorry, come again. He's like, he, he probably will not ever get further than this. Like, it's just so negative Nelly, like so so for me, receive, I'm not the injured party, but, but just receiving both the imagery and then the assessment, which, which what I, I don't know, you tell me, and does that, does that meet the, the criteria of being a social engagement or a so social experience? Because from a nervous system perspective. Yeah. So a question to ask yourself, and I mean, you've already revealed the answer, but what was your like emotional affect to that experience? Yeah. Well, I, I have interacted with this surgeon before and I, mm -hmm. I was bracing because I was anticipating a negative response. Um, and so what I noticed is I sat back away from him. I eliminated the expression on my face on purpose. I could feel myself go into protection mode because I knew his, his, response was going to be negative because that is what his response is always in my, in my experience with him. So, you know, and then as he's, he's going over the, the, you know, procedure that was just done, um, and he's giving his, you know, prog prognosis is prognosis, I guess. So, um, 
I could then feel myself getting tense and feeling what I would think of, what I can identify in my own body as a dorsal vagal response. So the dorsal aspect of the vagus nerve is immobilization. So I'm aware enough. I've done this work enough. I know what immobilization feels like in my body. It's retraction. It's stoicism. It's retracting, right? So those are, that's a nervous system response when we're not feeling safe, right? I'm having these responses much, much, you know, sooner than I'm able to say, oh, yeah, I'm having these responses, right? Because I'm, I'm perceiving not feeling safe and then I'm able to bring language to it, right? I'm able to identify it, but that doesn't happen in reverse and it doesn't happen simultaneously. So I'm having a response to the images and the information, but I'm also having a response to the, to the engagement, which in the nervous system work we talk about as being, that's a co-regulating experience. Co-regulating is the exchange. It was not what we would be hoping for in, in a healthy you know, exchange or co-regulating co exchange, which is called positive emotional reciprocity. I was not feeling positive emotional reciprocity <laughs> because that, that would require me to feel safe, right? And open. And I would not have moved back. I would not have taken the expression off my face. I really didn't say anything except for, mm -hmm. because yeah. So yeah, I'm like almost imagining the, the opposite, right? Like what if the emotional reaction had been positive and what if instead of leaning back, you were leaning in to the imagery so that you could like be like, okay, I see that there's, you know, potential for instability here. So these are some of the, because I'm sure as a instructor, you're thinking of ways of which you can support him in his rehab. I mean, that's what all of us will, will do if we're looking yeah. at imagery where you are being creative and inspired and having positive feedback that you can share with your friend about opportunities for, uh, you know, post rehab, that's going to be really supportive for him. And instead it's like a total shutdown because then if you engage in conversation with him and the doctor is supportive, like maybe he would say something and you would say something back. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I mean, I think it's a good, I think it's good to point that out. That is not, that wasn't how I proceeded to behave because I was aware of, yeah. I was like, oh, this is how I'm responding. I'm, I'm protecting. I'm now feeling angry. Like I'm feeling like I have felt before with this guy who just doesn't have very much mm -hmm. hope, <laughs> unfortunately, but I was able to notice and I asked questions. So that, that's yeah. what, that, I mean, that's when we're optimized. Let me make this point for, for those of you who are curious when we're optimized in our nervous system, it doesn't mean we're not going to be triggered. Like we have, we're responding based on past experiences that we're conscious of or unconscious of. It doesn't matter if we know where they came from or how, how they are arising. It, it, the, the critical you know, piece is that we are aware and that we can then take some kind of action to shift our state so that we are feeling more safe, and then we can socially engage, which is what Anne is alluding to, right? So to be aware of like, oh, all of this experience that I'm having, and then take a deep breath 
and ask the questions. Now, did I ask all the questions that I think I could have? Probably not, but I wasn't, there's just a limit to what I'm willing to like, you know, like when you don't trust somebody, there is an appropriate limit to which you are willing to put your trust in somebody, right? So really, really interesting experience. And later, after leaving the hospital and after getting home and after having the conversation with my friend, then we've been in been a very in a deep creative problem solving kind of conversation because we've basically and this is this is relevant and important too we've taken the unsafe element out right so i went went with him to his physical therapy appointment the next day and his pts he works with three of them because he goes three times a week um and then after this procedure he has to go 10 days in a row. So I went and I had met the PT before, but with the PT, he's like all in, he's positive, he's affirming, he's creative. And so, right, you take the unsafe element out and then you open yourself up to what what you're speaking to, Anne, right? That problem solving creative, you know, ability. Because with the PT, there's a lot of positive emotional reciprocity right? There's a lot of feeling of safety and support um, and willingness, but not with the surgeon. Yeah. Oh, and I think, I think we might that be frozen. It's just so important. Oh yeah. That... Go ahead. I just think we were frozen for a second. Yeah. Okay. I just think that it's just so important that you are aware of that and, and can see that in yourself and then you know, make, make changes because I think too, like, I think sometimes I've come up against the fact of like, well, I know enough about emotions. Like I, I'm self-aware enough, but the reality is, is Chantil had a very, in my understanding of this work, you had a very you know, strong yes. response. I mean, here's someone showing you images upon images, yeah. you know, proof of how but the thing is, it's very easy to show, to show bio proof, but we also need to show psych, psychological proof and social proof, right? Like all of the proofs need to, can support someone in having better outcomes. Um, but there's also this perspective, I think, too, where maybe what you're feeling is so nuanced and so like not yeah. as high of emotional response that you just are like, well, it's just a niggly yeah. little annoyance that I'm just a little stressed, or maybe you don't even feel the stress. But yet, if we don't have these practices, and from my understanding of like being becoming aware of our nervous system state, relaxing our nervous system state, we will continue to perform at, you know, suboptimal levels. Not that we have to be like biohacking. Yeah, but think life, about it like this. We are generally as a, in the Western world, at least I would say desensitized to our stress because it has become a new level of normal. Right. And I think this speaks to what you're saying is it's so, it's not just nuance because there are certainly moments where we don't really realize that we are experiencing a lack of safety, right? That's the concept of neuroception again is unconscious, right? You have to practice yes. feeling it 
It's very different than the other forms of perception. You have to practice bringing it to the surface. And it doesn't always happen right away. But if it happens, you're on the right track, whether it happens five minutes later, five days later, for heaven's sakes, five months later, right? You're learning something. Um, but it, it, But it is that we are constantly in a state of stress. Most of us are carrying, like, if we think about no stress moments as, as a neutral position or ground zero, most of us are one, two, three, four, five levels above that always. So even when we are perceiving ourselves as calm, resting, relaxed, I, I mean, I, I have this experience all the time. Like at the end of the day, I go to lie down with my daughter or watch a, you know, silly Marvel TV show or something. And I can feel I'm not really resting. Like I'm still on alert. I think it is very difficult for us to drop down or even know what that means to get to ground zero. I think many of us just do not have that baseline of experience. Yeah, and I think if you, what we know about like biology and the desire for our body to essentially always meet like a homeostasis, like a balance. So if you're all, if you're constantly having these stressors, you, you, you think that zero is here, but zero That's is right. actually level three. Right. And then you, you, then you get another level of stress in your life and you're like, okay, well now, you know, it's five. And so, oh, I'm really at zero, but no, your body's just ramped up a bunch of systems just to. Yeah. And then we have adrenal there. fatigue and we, and we have, you know, thyroid issues and we have autoimmune disease. Like there's just all kinds of things that then are the byproducts of those systems overworking. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I just think like this under, so this practice of nervous system work is a way in which to say like, because again, like I think many, many of us are very competent. We, we, we like to work. We got a lot of stuff we can do. Like we feel like we're fine, but then actually like, you know, we, we, we need some more support. And so what can we do to support ourselves? Or if we have to be the messenger to others, like Chantel in this case, where she's communicating, you know, diet pro prognosis to um, her good friend, Max. And how is that going to be how, how can she be, you know, a messenger in that, in that situation? And then of course, you know, take away the fear and, and communicate in a way where that it's not fear driven. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that we were speaking about quite a bit and that I'm excited to speak more about within dynamic education and movement is this concept of um, learner voice, which is this sense of like, are we allowing a learner or a patient, you could say, or a client or a student to acknowledge their mm. own felt sense. And even if it seems kind of crazy to the authority figure, whether the authority figure is a Pilates instructor or a surgeon, that that felt sense should still be honored. And I just feel like again and again and again, many times we, we aren't seeing that um, for, for me. Yeah. And I want, reasons. I want to like add, I want to advocate for you all to advocate for yourselves because there are just going to be people in your life who like the surgeon for whatever he has his reasons, right? He has his history. He has ex his experiences. 
he, whether he should or not, may not ever be the person where you will feel acknowledged in sharing the truth of your experience, right? So if you are a person of authority, like a surgeon, like a teacher, like a physical therapist, osteo, you know, like whatever you are, you are in a position of authority where somebody is trusting you. I want you to advocate for yourself in becoming more sensitive to how you either hold space for people to feel safe in expressing their experiences or you are not, which can look like a lot of different things. And then if you are the person who is the student or the client or the patient, to acknowledge that just because our greatest hope is that the person in authority would and should leave space for any experience you're having, they may not be capable. And the self-advocacy is find somebody who does and will. Like the best thing you can do for yourself. And let me just like maybe wrap us up with this last thought. I had a student call me last night and I was so, uh, honestly, I was like a little annoyed at first because she was like just borderline badgering me about something, but needing my opinion, my, my support. And so we chatted and I was so honored that she thought to reach out to me because this, she's asking me a question that was entirely outside of my scope of practice. Um, but it was a bodily injury and we chatted for a while last night. And what I recognize is that she had seen her general practitioner. She had talked to her therapist. She had talked to her second therapist. She had seen, you know, like she had all this expert opinions and she still she had talked to her Tai Chi, you know, instructor. She still didn't feel like she had been able to say and be heard, like what her experience was with the thing that was happening in her body. And so she reached out to me and she, she was like, I just think that you will be able to hear what I have to say, because I am not, I don't know that I'm fe feeling completely heard in any of these other spaces. And so if you are in that position, don't hold back from reaching out to people who will listen to the genuine experience that you're having. That, that's such an important and powerful, you know, place for us to advocate for ourselves. Um, and we need that, right? Because the surgeon is going to fill in some piece of the pie. It's the bio, you Absolutely. know? And, and I said that, I'm like, I don't think, you know. I, I care about you and I want you to be safe. And I think this is an urgent matter and you should get, get a second opinion, but don't rely on me, like go to a medical professional. And here's, here's what I think, you know? Um, so just advocate for yourself, advocate for learning, like inquiring for yourself, whether or not you are allowing your students and patients and clients to express themselves genuinely. And, and, all, and, and to not be wrong in the experience that they're having, right? And then if you are on the other side, to find somebody who will really hear you because that's it's a really important part of the healing process. Okay. Well, yeah, this is wonderful. So we have a free training coming up um, in 
about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, 3.15 in our group. Um, and um, mm -hmm. if you are watching this live, you know that that's happening right here in the group. We're going to be um, really talking about this idea of transforming pain through science and through the nervous system. Um, and then on August 3rd, we're giving a 90 minute, Anne is giving a 90 minute presentation on this topic um, that I really feel like you should not miss. And so what we will do is we will um, drop in the comments below this live podcast recording and um, put it in the show notes, just exactly how you can get on board with dynamic education and movement, this mentorship and CEC series um, because it is pretty darn awesome, I have to say. So thanks, Anne, for your um, brilliance and for bringing always new and current information to all of us to support us in the work that we do. Yeah, I'm going to go grab my books <laughs> before, before the, the 315 right. training. So all right. Thanks, everybody. So, see all the resources. Okay, bye. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?